You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. This episode is sponsored in part by OMG Yes. OMG Yes is for anybody who is curious to learn more about vulvas and pleasure. OMG Yes has asked thousands of vulva owners what feels best for them and found the patterns. Each technique is brought to life in beautiful videos of regular folks sharing from experience. No blushing, no shame, just body exploration. Get $5 off their newly released season two at omgs.com slash S and S. Enjoy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone, Nicoletta's friend who's a law student and who likes to talk about sex. This week, we welcome back Courtney Wilson, who is now officially joined by Amber Heard, <laughs> instead of her just like making comments throughout <laughs> all of Courtney's episodes. We just had to give her her own. Um, BT Dubs, if you haven't listened to the long-haired Butch episode yet, you should do ASAP. Courtney's a writer, director, and Emmy-nominated producer uh, at Topple Productions. She was behind the Golden Globe and Emmy-winning Amazon series Transparent. You may have heard of it. Um, She's also in development for her directorial debut. Now, Amber Heard, who you might have heard of, is an actress and model, but... She does a lot of other stuff. She was recently named as the ACLU ambassador for women's rights, and she focuses on gender-based violence. Well, eradicating gender-based violence. She is the Cyber Civil Rights Initiative ambassador and is working to help pass the SHIELD Act, which would make it a federal crime to share sexually explicit or nude photos of a person without their consent, which some people call revenge porn. And in case she wasn't such an overachiever, in addition, she's also a human rights champion of the United Nations Human Rights Office. Hi. That <laughs> noise trips me up too. You sound more like a politician. Should we call you Your Majesty or like <laughs> I go my by queen. Your Excellency? My Queen. Other people want to say Dr. St. Martyr heard. <laughs> Dr. St. <Saint> Martyr. <laughs> if other people want to say that, then who am I to stop them? If other people want to say that, Dr. St. Martyr heard the father. <laughs> so, Dr. St. Martyr heard, how did you. How did you get involved in these? Um, So I have uh, a vagina and I care. That is really good to know. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I also have a semi-functioning, depends on the time, uh, brain. And the two together make it impossible for me not to care. And I live in the same world that you guys live in, you women live in. Um, And I think it is... It's un- I'd want to wake up. I mean, I would wake up every morning and just want to break everything if I didn't do something about how. Can I cuss on the show? Absolutely. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how fucking unfair it is. And I think that's my interest is that it is um, 
un- unfair and I want to, I see it's a waste of time to not work That's to make fair. it. <laughs> what do you see as unfair? How fucking unfair. Uh, everything. I mean. Like, what was the thing that you were like, fuck this, I'm going to do something? Oh, please. Was there a thing for you? <laughs> like that one thing? No, it was a daily thing. There actually was. I, uh, I went to a Catholic university and I showed up on campus and I found out you couldn't buy contraception on campus. And I was like an 18 year old who liked to fuck. And I was like, this is outrageous. And then I found out that it was because like it was Catholic and you couldn't talk about contraception or abortion. And I was like, fuck that. So like my investment in the reproductive justice space is purely reactionary. Um, cause like fuck shitty authority. Um, but I think that's what was like a well, I mean, you, you're incredibly, I, oh, by the way, I say this cause I'm incredibly privileged too. Incredibly privileged because if you didn't have an, like you weren't overwhelmed, if you weren't overwhelmed with the sound of, of alarm bells going off by the time you were 18, you are the minority of the minority of the privilege of the privileged and yeah. good, great. But you know, we're, I think everyone in this space by just looking around the room and telling the color of our skin, we're already incredibly privileged. Absolutely. So I say this as an incredibly privileged woman. Um, I, I was not, I didn't get the luxury of like, you know, getting a moment at 18, but I do remember, I do remember certain moments that stood out to me in my childhood. I remember being in middle school and I went to Catholic, I'm also a Catholic school survivor. (laughs) And, um, I remember what it was like, you know, I like any other, well, maybe like some teenagers, I desperately wanted to be like cool and liked. And that's my problem, I guess. But I wanted to when I was in school. I hadn't. Now you're using it to your advantage, though. Yeah, well, actually, now I'm using the reverse of that. Like, now I know how fucking great it is to not be. Say more. Say to more. not be liked or to not be, like, dependent on being liked. Either. I'm, I'm, I'm mutually dependent on not needing to be and also not actually being because the two go together the less you care about being liked by the majority, the more you will be intensely liked by those you care about. And probably you will be equally polarizing to those who are not inclined to side with you. But fuck that being popular for something you aren't or a muted down version of you. I'd rather be super fucking unpopular for who I am than even somewhat more successful and popular for something I am not. Like sign me up for unpopular club. I didn't know that though. As a 13 or 14 year old or 11 year old version of me, I was in Catholic school, and as a queer, the the poor kid, as a a scholarship poor kid. Did you know that you were queer at the time? Yeah, of course, but without knowing. Actually, yes, I did, but I didn't know what that was. Like, I didn't have an example. I didn't have anything I could put on my locker door. I couldn't, like, say, oh, that's an example of this. Like, I never saw, I never thought I knew anybody who didn't believe in God and wasn't, like, I mean, I wasn't exposed to any variety or difference. Like, I didn't know a person of a different religious minority. Definitely, other than people of color, I wasn't really exposed to anything different. And that's superficial and, you know, for the most part. I don't know. I think I was, um, I cared about different things from an early age. And yes, I knew I was queer, but I didn't know what that really was or looked like or could look like. And then I was also poor and was the one scholarship kid. Actually, there were two of us. I don't know who the other one was. Oh, actually, I do. Sorry. 
But the fact that we knew that, even though kids don't care about money, you know, I just knew we were different. I got to school differently. It took me several hours, you know, an hour, well, an hour and a half. I took several different buses. It was a whole thing. Where was this? And outside of Austin. I went to school in Austin, but I'm from outside Austin. Hmm. Uh, and my parents worked really hard to pay the, you know, the, the bit of scholarship they had to pay for me to go to a nice school. And I put myself into these schools. Like I signed myself up because I thought it would be the quickest way out. Uh, you know, and so I'm in this like environment that's not something I'm really naturally inclined to be suited for. It's not really like I'm a duck in water. <laughs> um, but I remember being around a bunch of people and the cool thing to do, we had service hours that were required of us and you had to go and like do a certain amount every of community service. Exactly. And it was Catholic school. And one of the things that you could do that would count towards your service hour uh, requirement was you could... I don't know how this is permissible, but it's Catholic school is protest outside of abortion clinics and <gasps> women's health centers. So the community service was to protest against it was just abortions. Like if you did it, it was not like mandated, but if you did it, counted. you got hours. Yeah. Did like, you go with the school like in buses? No, no, no. Thank goodness that wasn't. Because I've seen those buses show up. Yes. And, and I'm not saying if our school had had the resources to bus, I'm sure that would have been an option. But we were a very wealthy school. And so we had plenty of moms that had time to cart us in suburbans and whatever. I obviously didn't have that luxury. I had a job from the time I could, you know, answer a phone. And I also wouldn't have done that job if you had paid me any amount of money in the world. But it made me really unpopular because I, well, actually it did not make me unpopular. I was already unpopular to be clear. But I remember being in homeroom and, you know, my friends or meaning not my friends, but like, you know, all the cool girls <laughs> were making these posters and they are posters with these like graphic, you know, these graphic images of dead babies and miscarriages. They're photos of miscarriages. They're not actually abortions and they're photoshopped and they're altered. It's just like, it's the most grotesque, gratuitous, uh, imagery. And the fact that it was accessible to, you know, a, a sixth grader or seventh grader in yeah, Texas is impacted this have on you? appalling, but it, whatever I had already seen a lot of things by this age. It wasn't like I was, but I just was appalled that this was popular. I was like, how I want to des I desperately wanted to be like, like you when you were 18 and you were like, wait, what? And you just wanted reproductive health. You wanted contraception. You were like, wait, what? How is this a thing? I, you know, show up to homeroom and there would be these posters that everyone was making and they were excited because it, it was cool. It wasn't mandate. It was like, it wasn't even required. It was cool to do so. <sighs> and that's when I realized my divorce from wanting to be cool happened then or my appreciation for the divorce what happened then. And I was like, oh, so you, like, you're talking about a moment when you realize something. I'm like, that was one of the moments where I was like, I don't want to. And then the next weekend I went outside, I made like 10 um, peanut butter sandwiches. We did, we, I ran out of jelly on the fourth sandwich. And so I remember there were a bunch of sandwiches and my, I remember someone, my, I think it was my mom or maybe it was someone else got mad at me that I'm using the Ziplocs. <laughs> Because <laughs> they were expensive. Yeah. I ran this out of some Ziplocs because I was like trying to put them all in bags. But I went the next weekend with a sign, sorry, 
with an arrow and I gave sandwiches to all of nobody. I mean, I gave them to mostly homeless people because it wasn't like there's was a line going to Planned Parenthood. Wait, you held a sign that said sorry? Yeah. I did. By the way, I was like not talked to by anyone for yeah. like two months after. What did but you happy. Happy. And I got a ride from, we had this family living with us or this couple living with us at the time and they were really sweet and they picked me up after. And I remember um, the, 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 the wife of this man named Mario, he, she put her hand on me and she was like, I'm proud of you. And she's Catholic, you know, and I was just like, I didn't know any different. I was just like, it was like just one of those tiny little things that someone throws you at an age where you mm -hmm. really need every scrap. Yeah. You know, I had already wasted the family's resources of plastic bags. Ziplocs like Ziploc's out. Oh, wow. Thus the disruptor was born. I've never told anyone that story. Actually. I'm really curious about what... Thank uh, you for sharing it yeah. with us. And I really hope to... And my face is burning. <laughs> I wonder if there's anyone out there listening who got one of those sandwiches that day, <laughs> please reach out. It was a sandwich from God. What feelings did, that, did it bring up for you? What do you mean? When you were telling the story, yeah. Like, you have tears. No, I mean, what's well, intensity like? Uh, we don't talk about tears here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just no. It, it all all good. It's just uh, you know that's like the that really tender age when moments stand out to you. And I was I was inspired by what you were sharing about like a tender age, a thing happening when you just like want to have access to contraception. <laughs> but to even know at that age, like you said, there were no, know. yeah, there were no other people around you to model that behavior for you. You just knew and you felt that it didn't feel right. And so it sounds like you just leaned into doing something that felt like all that you could do. It was way, way easier way to deal with, like to live with yourself for me. That was exactly what inspired me to just be like, no, actually I lose my relationship with cool. I really have always wanted to. I've wanted to be cool. I've wanted to be liked. But that was the time where I was like, oh, and I guess, no, I don't really want to. If this is what cool is, I don't really actually want to. And I think to answer your question, I think that's what drives people. It's not what's told to them. It's not what's said, you must do this. You must follow this rule. You have to do this. This is the rule that says it, especially at that age when you're inclined to break them. It's about what's cool what is accepted, which is why it is so important to be visible. That's why I've always seen it as a, as, a, a, as, as, you know, a paramount to, to progress um, for human rights is visibility. The, the crux of which is, a, of progress is, lies in us being seen. When us, when I say us, I mean us, like any version of humanity that's underrepresented, visibility is everything for this reason. It is, it's the start of it, you know? I mean, fast forwarding to now, I think what's interesting, and, and Courtney, you talked about this in our episode in terms of like not caring about people and being authentic, but now you are so visible and so popular that people make assumptions about you or feel like they can comment about everything, including your sexuality. And I wonder what it's like to be on the other end of things where now you're, yeah, you're so quote unquote popular Cool. You're cool. You're cool. Thanks, I mean, you were always, I mean, you were always cool. Oh, yeah, you made pink. it. You had like so many earrings in your ears, including on the inside and like five chains. I yeah. personally yeah. think like 13 year old peanut butter sandwich, Amber was cooler, but you are, <laughs> but like you, you are popular Same. now where people make all these assumptions and like project stuff onto you. And so I wonder what it's like being on the other end of things. 
it's part of why I have to always say it. It will always speak my, it's part of why, um, you know, I identify the least with my, how I make money. I identify the most, you know, it sometimes catches me that I also own this commodity or I have to be a product or some version of that. That's the weird part that I don't identify with because everything else in my life is built on the, the, the me that is, um, I guess the part that resonates with me is the part that's a disruptor, the, the part that is, um, th that thinks it stands for something that was uh, something I didn't have access to. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I had like all these, I collected um, feminist propaganda from World War II, which I just like got off, like I would literally go to Kinko's and I'd spend $2 printing like totally probably just totally robbing you know like like you know joint like rosie the riveter you know like recruitment propaganda feminist propaganda from like the but i was doing this because i just had no example of feminism of female strength of independence of i had no working models of any uh overt displays of of of, of power in the feminine world now, of course, I've, I have found it, but you have to really know how to look. And if you are unsophisticated, you don't have resources, if you don't have access to things, you will literally get through life without seeing examples, positive examples especially, of power in the feminine space and certainly in the queer space. And uh, I feel like as a queer woman, I can tell you right now, it matters way more the former than the latter. The latter is a luxury to be able to indulge in, and I'm happy, and I think it is a motivating uh, part of my life to be able to advocate in this space. But still, you're a woman first and foremost. You are the most discriminated against than anything if you're a woman. You already have the deck so much more stacked against you. doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, your um, religious identification, your, uh, your um, preference, your, your any, any of the other qualifiers. doesn't matter more than being a woman. It is Especially women of color. It just, it just exacerbates, you're just, it's just exacerbated times a thousand. But being a woman is the biggest um, uh, qualifier, I think for discrimination in the whole world. Even I, though there's more of us. Exactly. We are the, we're the min, majority minority, but. So what has it been like being a queer woman in Hollywood? An out queer woman. I mean, not that you were ever in, but like someone who's vocalized it. I, that's why I had to vocalize it. That's why I was talking about visibility. You have to vocalize it. Cause I had no example. I had no example growing up. So you want to be that example? I don't want to. I just know what it's like to live in a world without one. And I know, I know how desperately lonely and alienating that is and how much that can handicap uh, a resource that would otherwise be utilized for the common good, not just for women or just not for, you know, a community or that community, but just how underserved it makes all of us. If you ask any economist worth their weight in salt, what is the one, one thing, simplest way to, to, to fix poverty in a, in a developing economy? And they will tell you. It comes, it's so simple. It comes down to one word. You can answer it. Poverty, uh, uh, in one word, you can solve it. Women. 
it's that simple. Women being a part of our world, our e- economies, given a fair chance in our democracies, in our institutions, fairness solves it. That It makes everyone better, not, not women's lives better. It makes everyone's lives better. Say an economy isn't re- right. <laughs> No, I, I, I look at I look at Courtney over here, like looking at you with appreciation, it seems. And I wonder what you're thinking is your. Oh, no, I'm just like, it's so nice to hear her talk. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just appreciating everything you're saying. That's Thanks. All. Yeah. I thought you were eye, eye rolling. No, <laughs> no. Like, we'll get, wait, oh, no. <laughs> you're making me drop the mic. Wow. Um, mic drop. <laughs> double okay. mic drop. Listen, guys. Um, <laughs> Now I'm flushing. I don't even know what's happening here. No, I'm just. No, it was it was an. You like it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. But how professional am I? Like pouring it away from the. Oh, it's. I know. You're like. Why are you even trying to be subtle right now? It's hilarious. No, I just. I had this thought before we even came, and when I sent you the email, I almost wrote like, "You should probably just like give her this whole episode, and I'll pour the wine this time." Like, so that's really why I'm smirking to myself because I just like don't want to interject and like mm. think it's so great for you to speak and love when you do it so oh that's you're so just here, supportive yeah you're just here as a supportive voyeur yes 100 percent voyeur, voyeur. Yes. Yes. yes technically <laughs> i'm feeling very no, no. seen <laughs> so true it's very true yes yes i'm really curious about one thing you touched about like just a few minutes before when you talked about how you're a commodity mm-hmm and how you use your platform and you have such an amplified voice for causes you're obviously so passionate about. But when you decided to enter this space, you were, you were first a model, right? Or no? How, did, like, how do you decide? <laughs> I don't know. How do you decide to enter a world where, where you're a commodity before you get the platform? Because you're not really a commodity until you're successful at it. You're just like, oh, you want to pay me to stand here? God, you know, it's just about how much it costs you. You know, like for me, I couldn't actually afford modeling because it costs me too much to be told to stand there and look a certain way. Still to this day, photographers tell me to smile. I'm like, do not tell a girl and woman to smile. Don't do it. I will say it on the red carpet, even though no one looks good talking in a photograph. If you know what I mean. And if you're on a red carpet, you're there for photographs and there is no version of you speaking and it looks okay. I mean, like maybe one frame out of like a thousand looks okay. If you say me, you're smiling. Me. <laughs> no, I want to smile. I don't feel no. like smiling. I know, I know. That's I mean, I would argue you. in the last five years, it became okay for women to feel like they didn't need to smile on the red carpet. And that didn't always exist. Yeah, I know. I've been doing this for, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like now it's like okay for women and people or whatever to be like just standing strong instead of being an object. You are strong though, no matter yeah, yeah. whether you smile or not. It's about someone telling you what kind of reaction they'd like your face to impart on them. That's my problem. I'm like, don't tell me how you would like me, individual, to make you feel right now. I did my job. I acted all those things that someone else wrote out for me, which is why you're standing around being paid or going to receive money from me walking on this carpet right now. Do not tell me right now how I can make your experience more sellable. Mm. I already sold it for you or else you would not be here. Do you feel like you get pushback for being 
for for being a human being and having opinions. Normally, I'm just called a bitch, which I now take as a compliment. As a compliment. Babe in total control of herself. <laughs> I had a shirt that said that in wow. sixth grade. Yo. Yes. Well, you had those resources. Also, like, yeah. bring that shirt back. It yeah. Be it probably would only cover, like, one of my areolas at this point. <laughs> oh, poor you. I'm like... <laughs> God, I could make a whole dress out of it, I'm sure, in that department. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean... So obviously you get, you get feedback from people saying smile, saying do this, saying don't talk so much. In terms of sexuality, what are some of the things that you hate that people like say or put on you? Mm. Like not gay enough, not straight enough. Is anyone who's ever been female identifying, you know, firsthand what it feels like um, to live in this world where, you know, an implicit apology will be expected of you for how you look by the time you before since before you are allowed to or do call yourself a woman you know the world expects an apology for from you about how you look what reaction you cause in other people based on how you look you're too fat just being present you're too skinny you're too motivated, therefore you're too ambitious, you're a bitch, or actually you're a doormat, or you're too meek, or you're too, you're too big, you're too small, you're too ugly, you're too pretty, you're whatever, you're- Too smart. Too smart, you're not, too dumb. Everybody, it's an apology is expected of you, but we don't have, you can see how true the statement is if you just apply the same metric to uh, a, a, a male uh, model. It is not like a literal fashion model. Go ahead, do it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. It's important. It's important. I understand. I think it's more important to know. We're full humans. We're opening wine. We're full wine. humans. But we guys, don't smile. We I drink wanna, wine. I want to be fair and just point out it's a 2011 roll. Flex, 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 flex. I tried to get two different chateaux represented in this vintage. If you want to sponsor our podcast, uh, yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, call me. <laughs> I'm taking. I'm taking you submissions. You get a discount, thirty percent off. Sluts thirty. <laughs> I'm not. Wish. Sorry, there's no discount on the Latour. <laughs> but you can get a discount from our sponsors. OMG, yes. Sorry for the interruption, listeners, but we want to take a moment to offer you a discount for pleasure resources. OMGYes.com is a website about sexual pleasure for people with vulvas. We talk so much on this podcast about the importance of self-exploration, the orgasm gap, and myths around pleasure and desire. The platform OMGYes decided to do the first ever large-scale scientific research interviewing over 20,000 vulva owners ages 18 to 95 about what actually feels good and why. What they found was, of course, people vary in what they like, but there's also lots of shared techniques. The OMG Yes site has short videos of all kinds of people with vulvas sharing and showing these styles. I've been recommending this site to clients and partners for years, and we are so honored that they are now sponsoring Sluts and Scholars. I know we talk strongly about not placing penetration on a hierarchy, but season two of OMG Yes just came out and it's all about penetration and ways to make penetration more pleasurable. Go to omgyes.com slash S and S for a discount. You pay once for permanent access to a set of videos and animations 
And your payment goes on to funding ongoing research into sexual pleasure. Enjoy. Exactly. Well, what were we talking about? We were talking about um, like identifying as a woman and to you're like you had the implicit apology. Will be expected of you from Mm -hmm. based on how you look and the the reaction you impart on others. And so when people try and for some reason are unable to to link how you look to your sexual sexuality. Like, why do you think that breakdown happened? Well, I mean, I think we need to label people. In order to understand them, it's, um, it's calorically very expensive to run all these different programs uh, about somebody. I don't need to get into geek land, but... You know. But easier for people to categorize so they know how to interact. Everybody does that. You do it all the time. Is this person a risk or... A threat? Are they not? Are they more likely? You know. But like I wonder it, how people think they're going to interact differently with you if they think you're lesbian versus if they think oh, you're okay. Thank you. Straight. Um, I think it's just about. For me, I can have a polarizing effect a little bit on people because I'm a natural ego reflection. So my validation comes with an implicit uh, um, statement as to your worth or your value. Uh, whether you're a man or a woman, especially because I am a switch hitter. I am like completely, I do not have a preference on uh, sex, just the same way as I don't have a preference of um, socioeconomic, religious, or ethnic background. I don't like, you know, I really love human beings and I love all the beauty and damage they come with. And that's, and I'm aware enough about my own sexuality and my own, own openness that it's kind of can work sometimes against me a little bit because people um, feel because it is open. In fact, I've had a great easier, way easier time with human beings when I'm with a person of a specific gender. And then all of a sudden, everyone of the other gender is apologized for implicitly. And I don't have to tell them, but you're great. I just don't want to be with you. Even though I don't want to be with that person, I like, I appreciate many things about that person, not, you know, like necessarily being with them romantically. But especially if I'm with, um, you know, I, I always say I've made the best guy friend, my only guy friends, let's be fair, I have three. <laughs> but the best guy friends I've ever made, all three of them, um, were solidified throughout my marriage to my ex-wife. And I, I do, I, I, I say objectively, being very close to those three individuals, I have to say, I don't know if I'd be, if they would have allowed for the friendship, if it wasn't for the fact that I was married for those really important five years that gave them the ability to get to know me as a human being without it reflecting inherently on their ego and their worth, uh, their masculine worth, their masculinity, their value as a human male. I, I don't know if I would have ever gotten the opportunity to show up for them as a friend the way that I can, had it not been for the five years that I spent with this woman. And the, I can't say the same about women. I feel like women have a capacity for bond and for like nuanced understanding that isn't um, by way of our society or our biology or a mixture of both, women do not necessarily have the same handicap 
to rely on. Like we don't, in my experience, I have not felt women to be reliant on this system in order to bond with someone or get to know someone. I have always been able to bond with women. Unless you're really more evolved. What do you mean? Of course. But I guess that you were saying it's hard to know if it's culturally and socially made that way because we don't give space for young men to maybe develop those qualities. But But maybe there's some biological parts to it too. But I also, (laughs) like, are you also hinting at, it seems like there was like two reasons that you were able to forge these deep friendships with these men while you were married to a woman. And I feel like the first thing that's coming up for me personally is like when you're off the table for a man, that's when they're okay stepping back. And typically it's like that thing that we say when someone's hitting on you or like baby where you're going, you're like to see my boyfriend and then you're spoken for. And so they back off as like a sexual seeker, sexual conqueror, whatever. And then I think also there's the other side of it, which is the queerness, which makes them feel like, Oh, I couldn't, do anything anyway, so I might as well not try. Is there that duality for you in your I mind? I think they're one and the same. I think what you're saying is the same thing, just played out in a more forgiving space. What you're saying is the exact same quirk. Huh. It's just more forgiving on the ego. It's easier for a dude to be like, oh, she's spoken for. She's spoken for in a fundamentally different language than they speak. Then they don't have to speak that language. You just don't speak it. And then it's cool. You said something before about being like an ego reflector. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder what what that means for you. And like, what do you think that like fans or people who think they know you put on to you? People put all sorts of things on me. But how did you become that? Like, what is that? An ego reflector? I I actually don't know. I I don't know. how. I, I can't answer that question. I wish I could. It might make my life a little easier. I can't answer that. I just am me and I'm really open because it's really lonely to not be. So because I'm indulgent and like enjoying my life, I am open. And that's why I can be here. I can be present for communication. I like it. It's really lonely and drab. This fucking world is not worth it unless in, if it weren't for these kind of connections that you have with people, it's not worth it. You know this or you wouldn't have done what you did. You made this thing. You're like, I could just, you could just be not doing this, right? You made it because you want to connect with people, even if you don't get to look at them. That for me is everything as well. Um, I just wound up, you asked me early about how I got into it and you were like, ask me if I was mom. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> Although I mean, when I, le- I left home when I was young and I needed to make some money for a little bit of food. I like eat so little. Well, okay, yeah, if you're gonna do the modeling, it's just don't you <laughs> whatever shrimp cocktail. Drove like, out of my way for a shrimp cocktail today. <laughs> was... I asked if you had any requests. You could have requested shrimp cocktail. No, I wanted that shrimp cocktail. No, it was very specific. Don't even. Yeah. But shrimp cocktail is really just a, the shrimp is a vehicle for the cocktail sauce. So yes. we're on agreement, That's what I, right? It's all yes. for the horseradish and the, lemon. and the lemon. Yeah. Oh, I'm not a lemon bitch. Oh, what? I am a lemon bitch. I like don't like putting lemon on things. I guess. When you want. Calamari and someone goes to the lemon and is like about to put it all over. I'm like, no. Why? Because you want it crunchy and not soggy. It's a consistency thing. And also, like the tartness is overwhelming. 
Why would you justify that? I was trying to have compassion for Stop her. Stop it. <laughs> Never gonna eat with Simone again. Now that I know. Wow. Hey, listen. You we can have your own side. Together. You can have your sure own calamari without on. the lemon on it, and then we can put the lemon on our own individual calamari. Exactly. I think the we moral, don't all have to be one thing. The moral of the story is: don't share your food. Get with it. <laughs> I mean, you obviously are doing so much in your platform, and so I wonder. Now that you have maybe the privilege to like say yes or no to certain projects, do you feel like you choose projects based on how women are represented in the roles? Yeah, of course. I mean, I have the luxury of doing that though now. I mean, I got into this industry basically without actually being a model while just being able to work in any capacity that I could that did not tie me to uh, a position or a circumstance that would have made it impossible for me to contribute. And I quickly um, was able to, I, I was able to see that I could c explore, contribute more without it being a massive expense to my um, psychological well-being. Modeling was. Um, in the acting realm, I found creativity. I found community of weirdos. I found, you know, something to do. And it's really limiting and hard. And it's kind of torture as a woman who has a, a functioning brain. And I feel like every woman who's working in my space understands what I'm saying when I say this. It is damn hard. You are a commodity. You are a toy. You are an object. It is really hard to be a woman in this world, period. Especially one who is desirable to others. You are constantly put against your own instincts for survival. Those instincts are used against you immediately to, to judge you based on your instincts to survive. Um, the, this world tells you every single day you are this one thing. If you do survive in it, you're somehow using the system and you're worthless. If you don't survive in it, you are also worthless. It is really hard. Every woman knows this, no matter what industry you work in, that success is, it has this like, you know, it runs this parallel um, path with like, an you know, um, guilt, uh, an apology, but yet I've done the best I can to like make every step forward so that I could use my platform and my voice because I do know how it feels to not have a voice. I do know what it feels like to be mute. I do know what it feels like to be invisible. I do know that it might be hard for some people. When I tell people I wasn't cool in high school, they cannot imagine like that I wasn't this like popular girl, this like cheerleader narrative that they have. Because by the way, we've only supplied the audience with that picture of a girl who looks like me. Like, oh, blonde girl, like whatever. You see this one girl and clearly she's popular and it allows zero space for the nuanced, varied, incredibly diverse spectrum of the human female experience. The, 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 the female experience is as diverse as anything else. I mean, you cannot imagine. The, the fact that everybody has an assumed narrative about me, by the way, Courtney did bring in the bags today, just saying, for the record. Bring in the what? The bags. Yo, calling me bags? out for ba oh. being bag bitty. Oh. 
Calling me out for being bad you mean, right uh, now. Leaning oh. into the butch stereotypes oh, of carrying God. your stuff, good with tools, opening also, the are you, wine. Are you coming out as a nerd right now? I know. What? Were, you in, what? were you in as a nerd? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you just said it. You just assumed she wasn't a nerd because look at oh. her. <laughs> we're going to be here wow. all night, folks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And uh, I shall leave you all like here to... Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this this question's for for Courtney too, or, or both of you. I think just um, like Courtney's dead. <laughs> I'm not Courtney alive. I'm not died. even here. I've been silently dead. observing with a smirk. Like <laughs> um, what feels important then about the ways that you want to portray women mm. now, whether mm. it's in roles or in scripts that you produce or write? Uh, God, I think it's just so important for it to be okay to seem messy and to not uh, be presented as this perfect object um, or this thing in media that's been like the point of desire or this thing that like determines a narrative for people that aren't actually seeing them at all. And it's, I think it's just so, it's my biggest pet peeve to watch people just be objects, I think. Um, and I think it's really lonely and it's perpetuating something that doesn't necessarily uh, make us better or more evolved. So I think the more that we can humanize uh, men, women, anybody in between, um, not even gender, but just like stereotypes in general, I think it's so important to just make them honest. How do we do it? Uh, we just have to do it. Hire her as <laughs> your <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm just curious about like, do you con do you consciously have to like break free from stereotypes that you've seen, or are you just like, fuck, I don't. That is not what I want to create. Yes, I literally I seek out people who I feel like, uh, you know, don't look normal in quote or whatever that means or people who have fucked up teeth or people who have bad skin like anything that makes us like human it's the illusion of perfection that is like literally sinking us down into a hole that isn't making us any better so i think it's important to just put everything every freak anybody in between freak in quote um you know this is why she has me in her life folks because you're a freak? <laughs> Scientifically perfect, uh, 96%. <laughs> what is that Let reference me, to? I no, have you not known this? Know. No, we're not going there. No, it's, you know, science only said that her face is 96% symmetrical, oh, like oh, the most shit. perfect face you on the planet Earth. You need to get some Earth. surgery to fix that. No. <laughs> Fuck, but, Amber. Are you, are you crying? 96 <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, don't cry. There about has this been no percent. such <laughs> like. Sorry, Angelina Jolie. Turn over in your grave that you haven't hit yet. But sorry, like just saying. <laughs> Where did so what science said this? There's some bad article somewhere that was what? like. <laughs> what? Oh, Yes, first no, Spoiler alert. Scientific face. Spoiler alert. Scientific symmetrical. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Yo. I'm just getting the tomatoes roasted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Speaking of Rotten Tomato, though, I did watch Aquaman on the airplane on my oh. recent trip back. 
And there were some like strong femme things about your role in that. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I will, she's I won't second... make you comment on the film as a whole, but at least like, no, you, you like left, you left a dude to do the right thing. You were like, I don't need no abusive man. And you were a fucking strong fighter while looking amazing and smart and prepared. <laughs> like, there was a lot of good things to this character. What? Yeah, what? She has her East Coast trying to have a real what? fucking conversation, and Simone is Googling and clutching her pearls to look up yeah. who has the most symmetrical <laughs> face. Is it I Googled Amber Heard <laughs> symmetry. I Googled Amber Heard symmetry, and it said people also ask who has the most symmetrical face in the world. Whoa, well, yours is actually. And the answer is Amber Heard. Percent ninety nine point six. I got oh, sorry. How dare I? How dare I bring you down? Uh, by Angelina Jolie is ninety eight point one. Helen Mirren is eighty eight percent. Wait, ninety nine? I'm triggered. I gotta go. This is like too much. That's so interesting. I'm having it from over here, and I just I don't. <laughs> I mean, from this side, I don't know which side is your good side. Oh. oh. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, let's talk about all your problems now. <laughs> but like you're using this perfect symmetry. <laughs> tired, tired. <laughs> no, I think it's um important for me. You asked me earlier about like how I see this um parlaying into my professional space and my career. And I see this as um an extension uh, of a responsibility to use uh, as somebody who remembers and knows perfectly what it's like to be a part of an underserved, underrepresented community and um, and to have no voice, quite clearly, I know right now the value of my microphone. And I won't forget it. And I'll use it to my dying breath. Uh, I know what it feels like to be ignored and not represented. I had no one. I had nothing. Um, I had no examples. And that's why I am fine going down. Um, speaking on behalf of voiceless people, uh, people who have no ability to, to represent themselves. Cause I was that, and I'm fine going down to represent them. My job affords me this beautiful opportunity and responsibility to use my platform ethically to make the world better, to represent people who I myself would have been counted as. And I am, I see it every day as my privilege and my responsibility. I sometimes have to go to set too, mm -hmm. <laughs> but my job is, is, is doing with my life that which is good. And I would otherwise want to just break shit. Speaking of breaking shit, we are going to break this mega episode in half for your listening pleasure and torture. Tune in next week for part two with Amber Heard. If you want to check out what we're doing, we're on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. You can email us at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. And please, 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 if you like what we are doing, we have been working free labor for the last couple of years. Support us on Patreon and please leave a review. It really, really helps us so we can keep doing what we're doing. We love you so much.